welcome to Gloucester Vineyards Church weekly podcast. We're creating a community which brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're thrilled that you've downloaded this message. This week Daniel has finished his three-part series with a look at the biblical concept of hell. We're asking if Jesus' understanding of hell and ours is the same and we attempt to deconstruct what we believe about hell in order to tell a better story about hell which reveals something amazing about the love of God. So when you start a relationship with anyone, it's a journey of discovering all about the other person. Now, it's always wonderful to meet someone you share something in common with and start to get to know them better. And occasionally, when that happens, something magical will also happen where we find we're actually falling in love with that person. Now, I can remember falling in love for the very first time at the age of five, which is slightly concerning considering my daughter is currently five. And for many of us, we can relate to that wonderful journey of falling in love with someone, learning the really deep stuff about them and hopefully committing to spend the rest of our lives with them. And in relationships like that, there are always little bumps in the road where you'll learn things about the person which frankly makes them a little less desirable and appealing. For example, it was only after Emily and I got married that I discovered that Emily has a strong aversion to sci-fi of any kind, which believe me is a complete deal breaker. And on the other hand, Emily has absolutely no idea when she married me that I am secretly, completely and utterly obsessed with compost. Don't ask. And I can basically talk about compost for several hours. And one of those things about falling in love, about finding and learning those hidden things about a person, it's just a natural thing about falling in love with someone. And often it's just trivial stuff like I've shared. but, But sometimes, occasionally, we get to know someone and there can be stuff that emerges, some secrets that are locked away and never told. And oftentimes, when those secrets find the light of day, the fallout can be devastating. Now, I say all that to tee up what we're going to be talking about this morning, because many of us would say that we are in a relationship with God, that we're learning about him and maybe even falling in love with him. Maybe we've made that commitment to him and we're thrashing out how our relationship is going to function. And many, for many of us, as we get to know God And as we read the Bible and as we take part in Christian culture, there's this thing, there's this issue, there's this concept that comes up to the surface, which at first glance looks like a bit of a relationship deal breaker. It feels a bit like God's big dirty secret. It makes us feel uncomfortable and if you're anything like me, it endangers the future prosperity of your relationship with God. And that dirty little secret is hell. What on earth is going on with hell? Because we always talk about how loving and kind and merciful God is. And and Jesus, although he doesn't exactly pull his punches, always went out of his way to show kindness and compassion to people who had pretty messed up lives. So what are we supposed to think when we discover that there's this horrible place that God sends people to punish them for all eternity? It It just doesn't seem to fit in. Now, this term, I've been looking at words and concepts that come up in the Bible and that come up from time to time, which we can often misunderstand if we're not careful. And so far, I've unpacked what it means to believe and what the Bible means by sin. And in both of those talks, we took two concepts which we all kind of understand and we added some nuance and some depth to our understanding. But today we're going to be looking at hell. And I've come to believe that we don't need added nuance. We need a pretty radical rethink. 
because what most of us believe about hell has been more informed by Greek and Roman philosophy, some pretty wonky church history, mass media and the Simpsons, and has much been less informed by what Jesus and the Bible has to say on the subject. I've come to believe that the message behind hell actually reveals some beautiful things about God's character. I don't think it's a dirty secret in God's closet. We shouldn't be ashamed or confused by it. And this morning I'm going to try, try, and briefly unpack why. So, let's do a very quick exercise. In your breakout groups, take a couple of minutes and describe hell to me. Make a list. Tell me as much as you can. Where is it? Who goes there? What happens there? Um, There are no wrong answers here, so just go nuts. You've got a couple of minutes. Go for it. Okay, so I'm going to imagine we had all sorts of things about the devil and fire and pitchforks and Hitler and torture, which is what most people, including us, think of when we talk about hell. So I would probably articulate a normal modern belief about hell as going something like this. Hell is the opposite of heaven. It's a place that God made to send all the bad people when they die to be tortured for eternity. It's my belief that Jesus would have had an awful lot of problems with that statement. But apart from picking holes in the theology of that statement, which don't worry, we are about to do, the biggest problem with that statement is that it informs what we think Father God is like. You know, because that statement, it tells a story. It tells a story about what God's like, what life is all about, and how human beings should live their lives. You know, if that statement is true, that hell is the opposite of heaven, that it's a place that God made to send all the bad people when they die to be tortured for all eternity, then, then our Father God is actually less powerful than I thought he was. He's actually more cruel than I thought he was. He's less merciful than I thought he was. He's less loving than I thought he was. If it's true, then I have good cause to live my life in fear of God, you know, afraid of displeasing him. And I would always be in some sort of uncertainty as to if I was in God's good books or not. You know, that statement tells a story of a God who's good and loving and merciful up to a point. And then after that point, he's vengeful and petty and cruel. And since that statement is how many of us think about what happens after we die, and particularly what the Bible is talking about when it talks about hell, I think it's a fair question to ask. Are we happy with that story? Are we happy with the image of God that that story communicates to our world, to our friends and our neighbours? Do we think that that narrative about hell truthfully and reliably represents Father God, the Father God that we've come to know and love in the world? Are we okay with that narrative? Now, of course, that narrative could be true. Maybe God did make an underground torture chamber to send all the bad people. And if it is true, then whether we're happy with it or not is completely and utterly irrelevant. You know, God doesn't answer to us about how he runs the universe. But for me, that portrait of God that is painted by that picture of hell is so contrary to the rest of what the Bible is saying that I think we need to look at it to see if maybe we've got the whole story backwards. That maybe we fundamentally misunderstood what Jesus was talking about when he talked about hell. That maybe that view of life and death feels like God's dirty little secret because it's actually got nothing at all to do with God. So today we're going to have a look at hell. We're going to be dismantling what we think hell is and asking what did Jesus mean when he talked about hell? Because either we need to rethink our understanding of who God is or we need a better understanding of what hell is because there's an irreconcilable tension there, isn't there? So let's zoom in on what Jesus meant when he talked about hell. 
because Jesus did talk about hell. Perhaps not as much as we might like to think he did, but he did talk about it. And believe me, I would love to come here this morning and say, hey guys, don't worry, Jesus didn't believe in hell and you shouldn't either, but that would be dishonest. In fact, if you were to go and hear Jesus speak on any given day, there's a really good chance you would have heard him say something like this. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Easy going, Jesus. Now, Jesus taught that lesson on several occasions, but you can read the rest of what he said and including the context in Matthew's biography in chapter 18. Now, I find it kind of fun to think about gouging your eye out. I always picture a melon baller for some reason. Um, But Jesus is using some pretty strong language there, isn't he? He seems to be encouraging some kind of self-mutilation. But those of us who are familiar with how Jesus speaks will be able to tell that Jesus is being over the top to make a point. He's warning people about lust. He's saying, if you've got a problem with lust, then you need to take drastic action to sort it out. Because if you don't, it's going to lead you into the fires of hell. So the question is, what does Jesus mean by the fires of hell? Because on first glance, it sounds like he's what he's saying fits in with my modern understanding of hell. It sounds like he's saying, sort out your lust problem or when you die, you're going to go to the bad place and be tortured forever. Did he mean that or did he mean something else? Psst, he meant something else. So let's dive in together and let's find out what he did mean. Let's tell a better story about hell. Let's find out what the rest of the Bible has to say on the subject, because heaven and hell, that's a pretty big theme in the Bible, isn't it? It's one of the main things that the Bible is trying to talk about, isn't it? How do you get into heaven and how do you avoid hell? Well, the fact of the matter is that's actually just not the case. If you go into your Bible app and type in the phrase heaven and hell, guess how many hits you will get? Zero. Not once. In your whole Bible, are heaven and hell mentioned in the same breath as each other? You see, I think we have this notion that heaven and hell are like equal opposites, but Jesus and the authors of the Bible would fundamentally disagree. They'd say they're not equal opposites of each other at all, and they're certainly not equal when it comes to power, how much power they have. So if hell isn't talked about as the counterpart to heaven, then then where is it talked about? Well, and actually the answer is surprisingly little. Depending on your translation, hell gets maybe 13 or 14 mentions in the whole Bible. And I've looked at it. If you discount the repeated stories and the teachings where Jesus is saying the same thing but mentions hell several times, then hell gets maybe six mentions in the whole Bible. Only six mentions. You'd think that if this book was trying to tell us how to avoid going to hell, then uh, when we die, then there would be a little bit more airtime given to hell. And when you consider that heaven, on the other hand, gets at least 622 mentions. Now, those six mentions, all of them start with Jesus. Hell is a concept which is completely unique to the last quarter of the Bible when Jesus shows up on the scene. That's the bit that we call the New Testament. You won't find hell or a concept anything like it in all of the pages before. What on earth is going on? How did this become such a big thing within Christian culture? So hell gets six mentions in the Bible and it's only in the last quarter. And even when you look closely at those six mentions that hell does get, when you scratch under the surface, you discover something really odd. 
you discover something odd about the way that Jesus talks about hell, because Jesus uses one word consistently when he's talking about hell. That word in his language is Gehenna. That word gets translated for us as hell. But if Jesus was to come here to Gloucester and you were to hear him speak, you would hear you might hear him something say something like this. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of Hempstead. Excuse me, the fires of Hempstead come again? What are you talking about? You see, when Jesus was talking about hell, he was talking about a place, a place called Gehenna. And all the people there would have known what Gehenna was and crucially where Gehenna was. And the fact is that Gehenna was not a theoretical afterlife destination for these people. Some of them may well have walked past Gehenna on their way to hear Jesus speak. Some of them may have been planning to visit Gehenna after Jesus had spoken. Because Gehenna was and is a physical location here on planet Earth. You can Google it. In fact, we actually have our own Gehenna here in Gloucester, right on our doorstep. In fact, most towns and cities in our great nation have a Gehenna. The councils actually provide them. They're really useful spaces. That's right, you heard it here first. Our city councils are responsible for creating hell in Gloucester. Um, my nearest hell is in Hempstead. In fact, I'm actually going to hell tomorrow. I booked a slot online, which is a super convenient way of doing it, by the way. Um, you see, we've been doing some DIY in the house, as you'll probably notice from all the paint samples on our walls. But we've also got loads of rubbish and bits of tat that we need to get rid of. So I'm actually going to hell tomorrow at half past ten to get rid of it all. Okay, I've had my fun. Do you get what I'm pointing at here? Gehenna was the city's rubbish dump. When Jesus was talking about Gehenna, he was talking about a place nearby that they all knew about. And the fires of Gehenna? Probably because you got rid of your rubbish in those days by burning it all in the same place. So there you have it. In your Bible, hell gets all of six mentions and, slightly oversimplifying things, each of those times the author was talking about a rubbish dump. So what on earth is going on there? Well, there's lots of things going on, but I don't know about you, but once I learned all of those things, it was enough for me to completely ditch the way I used to think about hell and ask some pretty fundamental questions about life, the universe and everything. At the very least, we can all breathe a collective sigh of relief that the old eternal underground torture chamber notion doesn't hold much water. And I wouldn't be surprised if right now you're feeling a bit shell-shocked or extremely sceptical. I encourage you to investigate my claims for yourself. But also, let's take this one step further. Let's push into this, because we've dismantled the old view of hell. Is it possible that there is actually good news, a redemptive Jesus view of hell, on the other side of it? Is it possible that we can tell a better story about hell? Is there a view of hell which is actually good news, which reveals something beautiful about God's character? Well, there is, but things get a bit worse before they get a whole lot better. Because I haven't been completely honest with you so far this morning, because Gehenna and my lovely council-operated recycling centre are not really parallels at all. All they have in common is that they're both places where cities go to dump their rubbish. But for me, the dump is a 
Kind of gross, but useful, neutral space. For the people who Jesus was speaking to, Gehenna was a rubbish dump for a reason. Gehenna was a rubbish dump because it was a source of national shame and disgrace. You see, Gehenna had a backstory, a horrible, sordid past that each of the listeners would have known about and would have shuddered to recall. You see, this rubbish dump that they used, it was in a valley, and and hundreds of years before Jesus, the valley was the site of a really disgraceful episode in their history. I won't go into all the gory details, but the long story short is that God's people decided that they didn't want to follow him anymore. And they looked at their neighbours' gods to lead them and to give their lives meaning. And these neighbouring gods, they demanded that in order to keep them happy, the people of Israel, God's special people, they needed to sacrifice their children en masse. And the Valley of Gehenna was the place where a massacre of innocent children took place. It was an absolutely horrific scene, without a doubt the lowest that the people of Israel ever stooped. And when they finally came into their senses and came back to God, they could never fully move on because Gehenna was just outside their city walls. Everybody knew where it was. So they turned the place into a dump and they tried to bury their past as much as they could. But the spectre of Gehenna followed them through the years as a constant reminder to them. It was a reminder of what human beings are capable of if they turn their backs on God and define what's right and wrong for themselves. It was a reminder that God, because he loves his people, will always allow them to walk away from him, even if that walking away will have disastrous consequences. And it was a reminder that God was always faithful to them, was always patient with them, and always accepted them back, even when they'd done unspeakable evil. You see, for them, hell, Gehenna, was a present-day reality. When Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away, it's better to enter eternal life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of Gehenna. The people hearing that would have heard that taking drastic action to rid yourself of lust is the only wise thing to do, because leaving it unchecked will lead you back to Gehenna and all the mistakes that were made there. You know, you could read anything in there. We, we need to take drastic action to rid ourselves of greed and selfishness, pride and bitterness, unforgiveness and hatred. If we don't turn our backs on those things, then we're turning our back on God and we're throwing our lives into the rubbish dump. We're throwing our lives away, never mind about what might or might not happen after we die. Jesus' message is that we're throwing our lives away today. Jesus' message is that hell was and is a very present reality for all of us today. And don't we know that to be true? You know, don't we know that if we let our anger, our greed or our lust run rampant in our lives, if we don't take drastic action to sort it out, then we can look ahead ourselves and see our lives tumbling into ruin, creating a living hell. You may remember that definition of hell that I shared earlier on, that it's a place that God made to send all the bad people. Well, the Bible is telling a very different story. The Bible is telling the story of how hell is a real place, but that God didn't make it, that we did. It's telling the story of how God doesn't send people to hell. We choose it. And God, because he's a good father and because he loves us and because perfect love is never forceful, he will always let us reject him if we want to, even if that means creating hell on earth and preferring that to life with him. He'll let us choose that because he loves us. 
because he wants our lives to have meaning and dignity, because he wants a relationship, and any relationship worth its salt needs to be chosen by both parties if it's going to be viable. So where's the hope here? Because hell is real, the Bible's clear about that. It's also clear that we all live in it. Hell is the air we breathe. It's a world formed by billions of people choosing a life without God and the repercussions of all of those selfish acts wrecking the good world that God has made. Where's the hope? Well, of course, there is hope. You see, in the same way that for those people listening to Jesus, hell was a present daily reality, for Jesus, heaven was a present daily reality too. In our verse that we've been reading this morning, heaven makes an appearance as well. But once again, it's hidden behind another word. We've read that it's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, we've talked about this before, but when Jesus is talking about eternal life, he's talking about getting hitched to God. He's talking about entering into a loving relationship with him. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about living in unity with God, just like it was at the beginning of the world. For Jesus, heaven and hell were both present day realities and we get to choose which one we want to be part of. This is not an after death thing. This is an after lunch thing. It's like, hey, good morning. Would you like a cup of tea? And would you like to live in heaven or hell today? Because the choice is ours. In the story of the Bible, God created heaven and earth to be like two overlapping spaces living in unity with each other. So that the way that God does things in heaven is the same way that we do things here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And the story of the Bible is that we've chosen to push heaven out of our world. And in doing so, we've created hell. The story of the Bible is that hell is a real place. It's a place which human beings have created by taking advantage of God's loving generosity and pushing him out of the picture. It's a place we have chosen and a place that we have created. But the good news is that Jesus, uh, the good news that Jesus talked about more than anything else is that the kingdom of heaven is making a comeback. In fact, it's already arrived and is arriving. That heaven is moving back into the neighbourhood. That God is aware of the hell that we have created for ourselves here on earth, but he has initiated a plan to win this world back. Jesus came to get the hell out of earth. Jesus came to confront hell everywhere he saw it and evict it with a passion. Jesus came to announce that the reign of hell is over and that the kingdom of heaven is here. Come on! I mean, that is worth getting out of bed for. Jesus is showing up and removing people's sickness. He's getting the hell out of their bodies. Jesus is showing up and removing people's shame. He's getting the hell out of their pasts. Jesus is showing up and teaching us the values and ways of heaven. He's getting the hell out of our children's future. He's showing up and creating communities, we call them churches, who will stand up to the powers and forces of hell just like he did. Places where we do things by heaven's standards. Places where we go out of our way to bring restoration and healing to the broken and the lost. One of my favourite things that Jesus said was this. He was talking to his mate Simon and he gave him a new name, Peter. And Peter was basically the first pastor. Jesus said this as he renamed him. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. 
and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Come on, Jesus will build his church, and all the powers of hell, they don't stand a chance. Guys, this is who we are. This is what we're all about. This is why church is important, because we are a taste of heaven on earth. Did you know that? We're here to triumph over the powers of hell. That's why we're here in this city. That's why we tell our friends about Jesus. That's why we offer to pray for people to be healed. That's why we offer a radical welcome to people. Now, you're more than welcome to disagree with me on this. There's a whole load more that can and should be said on the subject of hell and judgment and all of this stuff. But the reason why I'm so compelled by this view of heaven and hell is that it brings Father God back into focus. We're no longer talking about hell as God's dirty little secret. It's no longer an irreconcilable tension in God's character and behaviour. It fits in perfectly with the story of the Bible and what we learn about God's nature and character there. That hell is a place that humans have chosen to make. But even though that's the case, he has waged war on the hell that we've created and has invited us into his kingdom. That's why I'm not ashamed to talk about hell. And that's why Jesus wasn't ashamed to talk about it either. Now we're going to move into a time of response now. And the first song we're going to sing has the line, The power of hell forever defeated. And I love that line because it sums up what Jesus has achieved for us. That by giving himself for us, he has defeated the power of hell in this world so that the kingdom of heaven can spread and grow in our lives and in our cities. We see glimpses of that coming kingdom in this day and age. But one day, I believe, we will see it in all its fullness. When all of us, whether we follow Jesus or not, will have a face to face with him and be given an opportunity to respond to his invitation into his kingdom. But guys, this is what I want us to finish with, that we need to stop thinking about heaven and hell as afterlife destinations and start recognising them as present day realities. The day will come when Jesus' kingdom arrives in all its fullness and on that day we will be invited to be healed and restored and made whole and welcomed into the kingdom of heaven, fully united with earth. And on that day I believe that there will be some of us who choose to reject Jesus' offer. And that Jesus will honour that choice. He won't force them to come into his kingdom. But guys, the same is true for us today. The invitation is the same today as it will be on that great day. Jesus is asking us the three most important questions in life. And we would be wise to answer him today, to enter into the kingdom of heaven today. Why would we wait? He's asking us, do you agree that there is something fundamentally wrong with the world? Do you acknowledge that the problem is not a problem with everybody else, but is a problem that lives inside of you? That you are broken and messed up and you've done broken and messed up things which have made other people broken and messed up. And the final, most important question. Do you want me to heal you, to restore you, to make you whole and complete so that you can enter my kingdom where none of that stuff has a place? And for us in this present time, that means working. It means identifying the areas of our lives which won't fit in the kingdom of heaven 
and working to get rid of them from our lives with the Holy Spirit's help. You know, maybe it's an attitude towards others or a destructive behaviour or our own dirty little secrets which need to find the light of day. Now, in this time before the kingdom of God arrives fully, when we take part in that healing process alongside the Holy Spirit, we are choosing to turn our back on the power of hell and to set a course for the kingdom of heaven. We're choosing to deconstruct hell on earth and build the kingdom of heaven in our own hearts. And when we prayerfully and humbly identify the ways our neighbourhoods and cities are at odds with the kingdom of heaven, and when we choose to step out of our comfort zones and tackle those things, that's us choosing to turn our backs on the hell that we have created and inviting the kingdom of heaven into our city. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the kingdom of heaven. We thank thank you for the way that you have designed heaven and earth to be united with one another. And Father, we want to say sorry to you for the hell that we have created and the hell that we have chosen to live in. And today we want to make that choice as we do every day to live in your kingdom. We recognise that heaven and hell are both present day realities. And today we choose to turn our back on the power of hell that you have defeated. And we choose to welcome in the kingdom of heaven, first into our own hearts, and then to spill out into our streets, into our neighbourhoods and into our city. Father God, would you use us as your people, as your children, to bring the kingdom of heaven here in Gloucester as it is in heaven? Amen. Okay, that's all for this week. I hope that blessed you and you found that helpful. If you've enjoyed this message, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to join in with what we're doing here in Gloucester, you can join us at one of our Sunday gatherings online. All the details you need are on our website, gloucestervineyard.org. Thank you.